0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, April 18th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Healthcare capacity is front and center in the fight against COVID-19, but it's worth appreciating that people still get injured, still have illnesses, and still need to consult with medical professionals for reasons that have nothing to do with this outbreak. Telemedicine can fill some of those gaps. Cato Senior Fellow Jeff Singer is a physician. We spoke this week about what regulators are doing and not doing to get out of the way of telemedicine. In a global pandemic, when people are broadly advised to stay home and where even the most incidental contact can risk exposure, um, what is the role of telemedicine?
1: Well, we're learning in this pandemic that telemedicine is crucial um, as patients are unable to visit their doctors uh, without risking getting infected while in their waiting rooms. uh, While doctors are asking, a, all but the most uh, urgent medical needs to to be done long distance. This allows people to be able to visit with their doctors, follow up with their doctors without having to physically be in in, in their office. Uh, so many things that doctors can do don't necessarily require the actual physical presence of the patient. Of course, sometimes you need to physically examine the patient, but a great majority of the time you, you you could do a lot of what you need to do by accessing their vital signs and taking a good history and sometimes just looking at things visually. So telemedicine provides uh, great opportunities to provide healthcare without you having to go into the doctor's office. And more importantly, uh, it provides access to healthcare uh, for people who uh, are, are remote from doctors or have disabilities that make it very difficult for them to get to doctors. If you live in a remote rural area, you could using telemedicine, uh, visit with the most, uh, sophisticated medical consultants in the world using telemedicine. So, uh, we're learning and using this more than ever before. Uh, what I hope happens is that when this crisis passes, uh, reforms will take place that will allow telemedicine to become, uh, much more, uh, uh, widely used and more easily used throughout the
0: country. One of the early concerns about uh, this pandemic as it was taking root in the United States was not just how many people would be infected and to the extent to which that would overwhelm the healthcare system, but also all of the people who have everyday run-of-the-mill illnesses or injuries that then would not be treated properly or treated in a timely manner uh, to actually... Uh, you know, say in many cases, save their lives. So so there were some expectation that we would see a spike or an increase in other kinds of deaths uh, as the, the healthcare system was overwhelmed. It seems like telemedicine, I don't know, you can tell me, might not be super helpful in those cases.
1: No, actually, I think it can be very helpful. You know, uh, but it's a good point that you make, you know, Frederick Bastiat had told us, uh, back in the 1800s, about what is seen and what is not seen, and um, for all of the patients uh, who are being seen now, presenting with cases of uh, COVID, we have p- patients with chronic illnesses. For example, people who are on conge- who have congestive heart failure and are on a host of medications to keep it uh, managed, and they're supposed to follow up with uh, their doctors regularly to see if they need adjustments made in their medications. But because of the uh, current crisis, they're not being, come they're not coming into the doctor's office. So um, they could suddenly be developing increasing uh, fluid retention and swelling of the ankles and shortness of breath. And uh, this is not getting noted by their doctors. Um, So when later on these people could decompensate and show up in the emergency room and and marked florid congestive heart failure, that's just one example. Or you see this, of course, with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. There are a whole host of chronic illnesses that need regular follow-ups with their doctor because they're constantly needing to be adjusted and tweaked uh, in their management. And these people are missing their appointments. So it's a real concern as to how many of these people uh, might wind up being other victims of this pandemic. Uh, However, when you're able to communicate with your doctor using telemedicine, and and a lot of the important information your doctor needs to make adjustments can be made, again, by uh, uh, speaking with you, uh, checking on some of the vital signs that are also available through telemedicine, and sometimes just having uh, you show him Show the doctors something, you know, visually through the tele through telecommunication. Uh, a lot of these problems can be uh, continued to be managed properly and 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 some of these uh, um, side effects of the pandemic can be avoided. So it's very important.
0: states have differed in their responses to uh, this pandemic, and uh, many people who would like to help to go to a hotspot and, uh, you know, use their medical skills have had some difficulty doing so. Some states have responded by relaxing, uh, the rules for licensure or at least temporarily suspending licensure rules for allowing, uh, people from outside the state to come and practice. Um, what have you seen?
1: Well, actually this also relates to telemedicine. So, um, On a federal level, in order to facilitate telemedicine during this pandemic, uh, Medicare has said they're going to pay healthcare practitioners who provide telemedicine. Previously, there was very little payment to healthcare practitioners to provide telemedicine to Medicare recipients, so that was a disincentive. Uh, In addition, uh, Medicare has said that they will pay healthcare practitioners who provide healthcare services either through telemedicine or in person to people in states in which they are not licensed. So these are good things, but of course, it only works as far as it can go because this only refers to Medicare patients. And it doesn't, even, even if Medicare will pay a healthcare practitioner licensed in another state for providing care to a patient in a state... If the state requires a doctor to be licensed in that state to provide health care, then it really doesn't make a difference whether Medicare is going to pay for it or not, because the doctor's not allowed to provide it. And that's why reform to telemedicine is so important, because um, under current l- rules, states permit telemedicine within state, the state, but not interstate. So as an example, I live in Arizona. If I wanted to drive to California to see a specialist at UCLA Medical Center because of a a very esoteric problem I have, let's say. And uh, that's fine. I can go drive there, I can see that doctor, and then I can return home to Phoenix. Now, if I wanna do a follow-up with that doctor using telemedicine, because just a a follow-up appointment is all that's necessary, I can't do that because that doctor doesn't have a license to practice in Arizona. So the only doctors in Arizona who could give me telemedicine are doctors licensed within Arizona. Now that's a real obstruction to the development of telemedicine. The 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 way to to address this is through uh, legislation uh, on a national level. That would say the locus of care—that's the term used—is is defined as the state in which the healthcare practitioner is licensed, as opposed to the state in which the patient resides, and that's completely in keeping with the. Uh, proper interpretation of the commerce clause in the constitution because the the, the congress has the right to regulate inter, interstate commerce and when states have these licensing laws that prevent telemedicine f- across state lines that's actually erecting a barrier a trade barrier against an, an adjacent state i could purchase products made by companies that are licensed in neighboring states but yet i can't purchase healthcare services from uh Providers that are licensed in neighboring states, but not, not in my state, that that's wrong. So by passing a law that would say that the locus of care is wherever the practitioner providing the care is licensed, that would overcome th- the obstacles to the development of telemedicine because telemedicine is is a really beneficial uh, development. Now, that kind of leads into the whole licensing issue. Most governors now have relaxed, at least for the duration of this uh, crisis, have relaxed licensing laws. So they're saying if you're a a healthcare practitioner, a doctor, a nurse, uh, nurse uh, nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, you name it. If you're licensed in another state and you want to come here and help our people, then we're going to give you temporary license, no problem. Well, when the crisis passes, why should we reestablish those obstacles to the free flow of these services to places where the services are needed, where there's consumer demand. So um, now I personally think that licensing in general is wrong, um, that it's basically uh, a protectionist act that usually benefits the incumbents and prevents uh, new entrants into the field. And this, by the way, is a subject that has gained bipartisan support. In the latter years of the Obama administration, a lot of policymakers within the Obama administration also were talking about the uh, harmful effects of, of occupational licensing laws. So Arizona became the first state in 2019 to pass a law saying that any person licensed in any other state can can uh, get that license granted to them. It's giving reciprocity in the state of Arizona. Uh, since that time, Pennsylvania and Montana have passed similar laws, but the rest of the states don't have that. So you have reciprocity, but that's still there's still some um, um, caveats to that because you're given reciprocity providing that you are pre- residing in and providing that licensed service in the state of Arizona. So even Arizona's reciprocity law doesn't address the telemedicine issue. It still would require the doctor who is providing telemedicine to be licensed to, to be physically in the state of Arizona under even under the current Arizona reform. Um, I would, uh, argue that, um, every state should at the minimum adopt what Arizona has done and grant reciprocity to every single licensed, uh, uh activity. Uh, but ideally I think we should remove licensing altogether, uh, and allow, Uh, certification, which is done by independent agencies to provide the information to consumers as to the quality of the people providing the services. I mean, we all know that just because doctors are licensed doesn't mean they're necessarily good. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't have malpractice Cases and tort law and tort actions going on.
0: It's like they um, say, what, are, what, is, what do they call the doctor who graduated last in his class? A doctor. A doctor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think that um, the le- uh, when
1: this thing passes, there are some very valuable lessons to be learned. Uh, and those lessons are we need to remove, oc- ideally, remove occupational licensing laws, which prevent the barriers to the, to the free flow of n- needed services between states, and also prevent new people from entering into the market to provide those services. Uh, and if we can't remove them altogether, what we need to do is at least provide reciprocity and also have a national uh, official standard that when it comes to telemedicine, the locus of care is where the the practitioner of the care, the provider of the care is licensed, not where the recipient resides.
0: Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.